ready? Got your, got your seatbelts on? We're going to um, continue our series on these little one-off people. We've had Naaman, Gehazi, Mark last week did Jonah in seven and a half minutes. Today I'm doing Balaam in about an hour and a half. We're going on a journey. But before we start, when was New Zealand first mentioned in the Bible? No, the land of the Moabites. And today we have a king by the name of Balak, who was a Moabite. So he was a Kiwi, probably from Thai Happy. Balaam. We all hear the story of Balaam and his donkey. All right, the Israelites, they're coming towards the promised land. There's a whole heap of them, 600 and something thousand men, plus the women and the children and all the animals and everything. And they, they'd eradicated a few people, and Balak is sitting there thinking, uh-oh, I'm next on the hit list. And so Balak goes to Balaam, and Balaam is a prophet, but he's not a godly prophet. And Balaam's reputation was that he could either bless or curse. Which one would you like? Nothing. Okay, that's all right. Um, I was listening a while back to to a guy called Graham Cook, and he takes the scripture quite literally when it says that, that God can turn curses into blessings for his people. And uh, he had a, a phone call once from a Satanist who wanted to curse him. So he says, oh, goody, give me your best shot. And he writes down all the curses and he checks with the guy. He says, is, is this all you've got for me? And the guy was like, yeah. And he says, well, that's wonderful because I'm going to have terrific, terrific time because God turns curses into blessings. And his, his life was blessed. And about four months later, uh, the same guy rings him back. And, um, and Graham's just sort of like, thank you so much for all the blessing I've received. And the guy had come to the Lord through it. Amazing story. Anyway, Balak goes and gets Balaam to come and put a curse on the Israelites and then Janice read out the story that eventually Balaam comes with his donkey and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord with a sword and heads off into the field. Balaam beats him. Or her. We don't know the gender of the donkey. Um, they go a little bit further on their journey and, and the walls between the vineyards narrow and the donkey scrapes his leg uh, and if you've done horse riding, the worst thing's going through a gateway when the horse forgets that actually your leg is there and they come right round the post and <laughs> whack it off. And, this is, and so the donkey gets another beating. And then eventually down through the vineyards and the angel is standing there and the donkey sits down and gets another beat. And the donkey turns round and speaks directly to him. Second time in the Bible, 
where an animal speaks out loud. The rest of the story is that they do this big sacrifice and Balaam gets up there and he is controlled by the Spirit of God. And he ends up blessing the people of Israel. And of course, Balak, the Moabite, he gets a bit upset by this and so they do it again. And then a third time. And each time, Balaam is restricted by the Spirit of God to speak blessing over the Israelites. Now we could talk about blessings and curses and so forth, but I think we miss the point um, if we don't look further into the Scriptures about Balaam. See, the rest of the Scriptures don't point to the story of the speaking donkey. The rest of the scriptures talk about the incident of Peor. That's just south of Taihaki, Peor. And what happened at Peor was the Malachites were also afraid of the Israelites coming into the promised land. And so they get hold of Balaam. And they didn't ask him to curse or bless the Israelites. They asked him for advice on how can we make them weaker so that we can beat them. And Balaam came up with a cunning, devious plan. Grab your sexy woman and head into the Israelite camp. And start seducing the guys, make them immoral, and you will weaken the Israelites. Get it? The plan is that the woman would go down into the camp, the Israelite guys would be tempted sexually, have intercourse with them, and do whatever they like, because they were willing, but it would weaken the Israelites. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what the rest of Scripture remembers Balaam for. Why Balaam was killed by the sword. Why there was 23,000 Israelites wiped out of their um, number because of this incident. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, is that the same for us? Does the spirit of Balaam still exist? Can we be weakened as a people? Because of sexual immorality. One of the mentions, I've got a heap of paper here and I can't even remember where it is. Here we go. One of the mentions of Balaam is in the book of Revelation. When John is prophesying over the church of Pergamum, And he says, nevertheless, this is Jesus speaking about this church, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak and also the Midianites to entice the Israelites into sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual, sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also 
have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, who did similar things. The Nicolaitans had taken Gnosticism. Gnosticism says that there is a separation between spirit and body, and everything to do with the spirit is good, and everything to do with the body is evil. So you can do whatever you like with the body, because it doesn't affect because the spirit is different. And here in the book of Revelation is the spirit of Balaam still influencing a church. And I looked at this and I kept pondering and I decided that I wanted to speak about donkeys talking instead of the subject that I have ended up with. And that is that I think that in the Western society anyway, the spirit of Balaam still attacks and makes us weak. And it happens like this click of a mouse. And all of a sudden, there is a photo on the screen. And we have been seduced to commit sexual immorality. I'm talking about pornography. And I think it weakens us or you, whoever is involved in it as an individual. But I think it has an effect on us as a body. And I think the devil is still using the same tactic to come in and influence and weaken the church. I have read statistics about pornography. Simply put, 50% of men in the church are actively involved at least every week. That's all you fellas. Good boys. Pastors, it's higher. The average age in New Zealand for a young boy to have his first contact with pornography is 11 years old. There are eight-year-olds who are using and looking at pornography on a regular basis. The biggest web server for pornography in the world gets data on how many hits come out of certain countries. New Zealand is very, very high above that of the United States. 53% is accessed by phone. 34% desktop. The most popular day, Sunday. The most popular time, between 10 and 11. The least popular day, Friday, when the parties are on. The average time spent per session, 9 minutes and 37 seconds. Just long enough for the young guy to find the right picture 
that titillates what's happening in his mind and probably masturbates and then it's all over and then he shuts down, probably with guilt. Don't think it's just a man problem. It's also a woman problem. 23% worldwide women access pornography. But New Zealand, it's 35%. What is wrong with it? It's make-believe. What you see on the screen is not reality. Just as much as the Avengers aren't real, sorry, just as Mr. Darcy isn't real, just as the Disney romance films aren't real, neither is the pornography that people are watching. It is not real sex. They are actors. The worst thing about pornography now is that 88% of it is aggressive. That means it contains violence. That means there's pulling of hair, swearing, calling of names, punching, choking. It's not a pretty sight. The end result is that 14% of males in New Zealand have now problems, sexual difficulties, erectile problems. There are young guys who cannot make love to their wives unless they have a screen in the bedroom with them. I reckon that 75% of boys at the age of 17 are looking at pornography on a regular basis and 58% of girls are. It's starting to form a generation and inform a generation. The male brain imprints And the first sexual encounters imprint in the brain. They think that this is normal. There was a case last month of a young boy, aged 12, in England, who was arrested because as he started kissing his girlfriend, he started pulling her hair as a result of watching porn. This is infiltrating our society in such a way that I think it is very similar to what Balaam wanted to happen. It makes our marriage weak. I have talked and counselled over the years with guys who have these problems. Some of them blame their wives and say, but she's not giving me enough. Some of them blame their wives because they're not giving it at all. And that is another problem that needs to be addressed. But you can't blame an external person for your internal problems. 
It's you who chooses to get in front of a screen. It's you who chooses to click. It's you who chooses to search. And it's you who start degrading a person to an object. In Matthew, Jesus had this to say. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, that's easy. I'm married to Cheryl, and I'm not allowed to have sex with anybody else. But Jesus takes it further, and he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is Jesus speaking into a thing that as a church we don't want to talk about and we don't want to face. He's saying that your eyes are the avenue in which you get tempted. And then it drops into your heart and then you act it out. So Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. This is written 2,000 plus years ago. And what's pornography based on? Looking. You've already committed adultery. And then there's these two more verses that, that a lot of people want to, they just don't understand it. They want to isolate it out of what Jesus was saying. And I've said this um, a few years back. If your right eye causes you to stumble. Well, this is talking about this. If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. I was talking to someone who, um, who wants to read the Bible literally. And I said, why aren't you blind? Why haven't you plucked your right eye out? And then I can guarantee that you've looked at another girl with your left eye, so you can pluck that out too. And why have you got hands? Because Jesus is saying it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, what's he talking about? Masturbation. Mark Gungor says, what redneck looked at his hand and thought, wow, that looks like a vagina. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. So now we've got completely blind guys with no hands. Except this is not to be taken literally. Jesus is saying, this is how severely you need to pluck this out because it's going to affect you deeply. You need to get rid of it. You need to control your eyes. You need to control your hands. See, the fruit of the Spirit is what? There's nine of them. Quick. Love, joy, peace, blah, 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 blah. Self-control. Self-control. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit indwelling in me that gives me the ability to control this. 
Balaam is known for this incident. Go, go into the camp and weaken the people with sexual behavior that God has said, don't do it. Jesus speaks straight to the point. He says, I want you to be different. I want you to honor your wife. And if you're not married, and there's a lot of you that aren't, I want you to honor the wife that you will meet. Or, I want you to honor woman. By not perving at them, by not undressing them, by not fantasizing over them. If you've got the problem, what on earth do you do? As a last resort, people come and see the pastor. Wahoo, it's a great job. And the story is always the same. I keep crying out to God to overcome this. And nothing happens. I keep saying, God, I don't want this in my life. Click. Ooh. Haven't seen that before. God, I don't want it. Click. And there's this battle to and fro in the guy's life and in girls' lives, and it's becoming a bigger phenomenon for them between sinning and the cry of the heart to be free. So how do we get over this sort of problem? Well, when John wrote what Jesus was saying to this church, it's quite simple. It says repent. Repent, therefore. What does repent mean? Turn around. Go in the opposite direction. It's a change of heart. It's a change of the way that I go forward. Repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword in the mouth. Jesus is warning this church, I want you to pluck this out. You can't keep going forward with it. Repent. Repentance is before God. But that's what a lot of people do. Click. Repent. Click. Repent. Click. How do I get over this? God. God, where are you in all of this? Free me from it. But repentance is not the only thing that we need to do. In James 5, 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Oh my goodness, I don't want to do that. I'm so shamed, I'm so humiliated. How am I going up to Bryden and saying, Bryden, I'm a wanker. It's, it's just, how could I go up to Bryden and say, Bryden, I've got a problem. Oh, yeah, what's that? Is it financial? No. 
And I won't want to share with him because of the embarrassment and the shame in here. But James is saying, this is the way forward. Confess your sins to each other. Now, I don't have a problem. But if I did, this is pretend. Please, 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 pretend. Do I stand up here and confess to everybody? No. I go to someone who I trust. Let's see. I could go to Mark. I trust him. I trust him in the way that he won't judge me. Because his heart is for me and his heart is to help me become an overcomer. And so I choose carefully who I go and confess my sins to. But that verse doesn't stop there. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So that you may be healed. And we forget that we're supposed to be bound to each other. We don't do this by ourselves. We confess and we pray for each other. In Galatians, Galatians 6, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, carry each other's burdens. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted into the same sin. But carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So it's talking about accountability. Rodden. Um, I've got a problem. Can you help? I confess. He doesn't judge me. He loves on me. And he loves on me by saying, hey, I'm going to walk this journey with you. I will pray for you. But he doesn't just do that. Next time he sees me, he says, how's it going? How's Waka? Oh, bad. It's going much better. Why? Because the power of it has been broken because someone else knows and is walking with me. Because it's the secret things that keep us sick. When it's a secret, its power is bound around you. When it is confessed, someone else knows. And so there is the accountability of brother brother if you have the privilege of someone coming to you and saying hey I've got a problem with pornography don't send them to the pastor they've chosen you to be an accountability person for goodness sake boys don't go to girls with it and girls don't go to guys you're asking for problems, more problems. Go to someone older, wiser, someone who has probably through their teenage years battled with it and become an overcomer. Carry each other's burdens. Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, 
This is talking about us as the people of God. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Sometimes there needs to be deliverance. Sometimes we start down this journey and we get tempted and we sin and then the temptation becomes an habitual thing and we're into it every week or every day and so forth. And at some stage, a demonic entity can come and legalize and, and grab hold of that part of our character so that we lose the power to struggle out of it. And sometimes you need to get rid of that demon out of your life. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a fix quick and it's all over and, and it, I don't get tempted anymore. We just go back to being human and being tempted. You still have to become an overcomer, but at least the stranglehold and the power of it has gone. As, you, as If you've been hanging around the church for a while, you know that um, I used to do what we called lust bust nights. And I went into this church up, up in Northland and um, the pastor had asked me to come in and do a last bus night for the guys. And there were about 30, 30 guys. And when I explained it all and taught about it, there were three who could stand and say, actually, this doesn't affect me. So we started a deliverance time, knowing that that is only one step of the way to get free from this. Then the women of the church were angry because some of them were dealing with it. And so um, I, I wasn't called in, thankfully. Um, but the pastor's wife had to do a last bus night for the girls. Um, but they deal with things, yeah, their way. And I'm quite glad not to be there. How do we overcome it? We repent. That's me and God. We confess that's me and another person that I trust. We get prayer. That's opening myself up and being vulnerable and receiving ministry from someone else. Jesus flowing through someone to touch my life. And then we have someone who is prepared to carry us, to keep us accountable, to keep us on the straight and narrow. If we go back to what John wrote to this church, it's incredible. If you do this, to the one who is victorious, I've got a prize for you. This is going to be worth it. I will give some of the hidden mana. You can guess what that is, but it's all about the provision of God. There is something that will flow into your life as you become an overcomer in this area also says, and it's quite poetic, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Intimacy with God comes out of breaking false intimacy with a screen and with girls or guys or whatever that you're looking at on a screen. The story of Balaam is not just about a donkey who speaks. The story of Balaam is a spirit that comes in to entice and to weaken a body of people through sexual temptation. 
I think the equivalent of that for our day is pornography. And I think that we need to do something about it. Let's finish in prayer. Jesus, you are strong and merciful. And your mercy triumphs over judgment. And there are those that feel guilty and shamed, and I would ask that they would move by the power of your Spirit into a place where their guilt and their shame doesn't dictate their behaviour, but that the freedom and the promise of freedom will overcome them like a flood and that they will have the courage to repent. They will have the courage to find out someone that they trust who can walk with them be accountable too. That your grace might flow from one to the other. That forgiveness would be all over us. But that as a people, we would not open to the spirit of Balaam. That as a people, we would react in a beautiful way to the complementary sex, male and female. That we would see each other not as objects of lust or desire, but that we would see the image of God in that person. Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would come with courage, not with condemnation, but with the promise of freedom. Courage to confess, courage to accept help, courage to accept prayer, and openness to deliverance. Lord, we thank you that when you died on the cross, this thing was broken. The power of it was broken. That we have been forgiven. We thank you that the resurrection power is available for us and that we can walk in that. 
we thank you that your spirit comes upon us and lives in us and produces good fruit. And a part of that fruit is self-control. But it's also faithfulness and love and gentleness and kindness to the other. May we dwell in your spirit. Father, we thank you for being here today with us. Not with a stick, but with your arm wrapped around us. Guiding us forward. Making a way because you are the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You're the one that brings lightness to darkness. May we know that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, that um, is the end of our service. And there's smoke over in the lounge. Enjoy each other's company.